Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for Therapeutics Thursday's podcast. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen in as members sit down to discuss what's new and ongoing in the world of therapeutics. My name is Rebecca Anderson, and I am an assistant professor of pharmacy practice at Shenandoah University Bernard J. Dunn School of Pharmacy, as well as a clinical pharmacy specialist at Inova Fairfax Medical Center in Northern Virginia, where I practice in internal medicine. With me today is Trina Wynn a Transitions of Care Coordinator at UC San Diego Health, where her interests include heart failure, internal medicine, and transitions of care. Thanks for joining us today, Trina. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Let's get started talking about today's topic, which is part two of a two-part segment on refining the who, when, and how of SGLT2 inhibitors in patients with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. The first part of the segment was going over really the clinical trials, which mainly included the EMPEROR trial. So we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about some other considerations. My first question for you today, Trina, is why are we considering SGLT2 inhibitors for patients with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction? So thank you, Rebecca. Uh, With the many studies coming out for SGLT2 inhibitors, uh, we continue to see benefit in many populations. Um, patient with chronic kidney disease, cardiovascular risk, diabetes, and heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. I'm excited that we also found some benefit in the HEF-PEF population as well. As presented in our part one podcast, we're still waiting on the full data release for dapagliflozin, but embagliflozin has demonstrated benefit in reduction in heart failure hospitalizations in HEF-PEF patients with or without diabetes. I will still be cautious and continue to be on the lookout for longer-term data, but coupled with that, and are very limited therapies in HEF-PEF. I would recommend this for my HEF-PEF patients. So SGLT2 for HEF-PEF. Thank you. Are there any patients you would avoid or hold SGLT2 inhibitors in? We have a couple of patient groups where SGLT2 inhibitors in general may not be a great medication. First are patients with recurrent history or active UTI mycotic infections. This population would be contraindicated for me. The key word here is recurrent, so it's also worth reassessing the etiology behind the UTIs, like patient hygiene. Second are patients with lower GFRs. For empagliflozin, based on the exclusion criteria for both emperor reduced and preserved, I would consider it in my patients with stable GFR at or above 20 mils per minute. Pending data from delivery, dapagliflozin will likely be recommended for GFR cutoff at 25 mils per minute. What to remember here is that it's okay to hold in a setting of acute kidney injury, but reassessments must be made when patients are stable to restart, as evidence has shown that GFR decline from baseline is slower compared to placebo for patients on SGLT2 inhibitors. There are a couple of scenarios that will also require temporary holds of SGLT2 inhibitors. Patients under fasting states tend to develop euglycemic ketoacidosis. Thus, for procedures where patients have to fast, it's best to hold the medication at least three days prior to the procedure. I would consider including sick management discussions with patients for directions to hold if their appetite decreases or if their diet changes, like changes to a keto diet when carbohydrate intake is less than 50 grams, for example. The last group I would like to highlight is our diabetic patients. With the drug having indications within the cardiology and endocrinology world, balancing with providers of quote-unquote who should own SGLT2s may be difficult. When used alone, SGLT2 inhibitors should not cause hypoglycemia. However, when used in patients with insulin, it can occur. 
at times, reduction in patients' insulin regimens are needed, so it's best to coordinate amongst all clinicians involved in the patient's care. I see our pharmacists playing a large role in this. Any concerns in terms of cost, since it's still a brand-name medication? Absolutely. Cost is a concern for a lot of my patients, um, especially with our complex drug coverage system. Luckily, in general, either embaclofosin or dapaclofosin are most insurance formularies. Um, and some pharmacy benefits will cover it without a prior authorization. However, for the sole indication of HEFPEF, I would expect the formularies to still require prior auth at this point in time. I usually check which SGLT2 inhibitor is the drug of choice on the formularies and then submit the HEFPEF data along with the prior authorization request. For now, it may be primarily empagliflozin, but dapagliflozin's data should be released later this year. There is also additional assistance for patients depending on what type of insurance. Those with commercial insurance can apply for saving cards to reduce monthly copays through the manufacturer's website. Those with Medicare can apply for Medicare's program like extra help. And those in general who cannot afford the medication based on copay or does not have insurance can obtain empagliflozin and dapagliflozin from the manufacturer's sponsored patient assistance programs that are available. All the additional assistance program have income qualifications and other requirements upon enrollment. Thank you. And I know that's a, a really big concern for our patients is cost. So it's great to see that they have these programs out. Uh, what patient care settings do you find prescribers most comfortable initiating the drug in? I think most prescribers are most comfortable in any settings where pharmacists are involved. Um, based on the impulse trial, there's data that shows initiating SGLT2 inhibitors in inpatient settings is safe in patients regardless of ejection fraction. Admissions can be seen as another opportunity to start the medication in general. I do not advise to start it until the patient is obviously more stable and no further procedures are being considered. No matter what the setting the patient is initiated in, I still want to revisit my earlier points in that this drug crosses many specialties, so communication coordination is key. At UC San Diego Health, providers are comfortable initiating the therapy as we've added safeguards into our inpatient ordering pathway, um, which include endocrine or cardiology consults, uh, reassessing and assessing procedure plans, and checking coverage for outpatient continuation. Speaking of inpatient orders, what was necessary to obtain PNT approval to add it to the formulary? And which one is on your inpatient formulary, and which one do you recommend? A couple years ago, we performed a drug class review of SGLT2 inhibitors used in HEF-REF patients with the goal to bring the two most common onto formulary, empagliflozin and dapagliflozin. After this review, both were actually accepted onto formulary as they were comparable both in costs and evidence at that time. Um, this helped to mitigate formulary changes and discharge errors for us. And so, you know, if a patient was admitted one versus the other. Speaking on that, can you interchange them? I would agree at this point in time that the data between the CV benefits and heart failure may most likely be a drug class effect. Um, I interchange empagliflozin and dapagliflozin based on insurance restrictions, really, given the data behind HEFREF. This is based on personal experience, and my patients do well on either, so I don't see any difference between the two. Any other last comments on starting SGLT2 inhibitors in patients with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction? We've seen in our HEFREF patients, there are many trials shown benefit, but the uptake in prescribing is so, so slow. I encourage all pharmacists caring for our HEFPEF patients to reevaluate the patient's regimen, um, see if there's a role at SGLT2 inhibitors and if it's safe and effective. Keeping in mind, though, it's not just about the benefit of the drug, but also the coordination, the cost concerns that has to be addressed to successfully have our patients take the medication. Thank you so much, Trina, for all the information that you have provided today.
If you haven't before, I encourage you to all check out ASHP's clinical resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings, such as resource centers, including those on critical care, nutrition support, opioid management, infectious diseases, and more. Other offerings include the Credentialing and Privileging Resource Center, the Preceptor Toolkit, and forums, such as the ASHP section of Clinical Specialists and Scientists Connect community, where you can exchange ideas and post questions with your peers. Thanks again for tuning in for this session of Therapeutic Thursdays and join us here every Thursday where we will be talking with ASHP member content matter experts on a variety of clinical topics. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.